to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. You know, PJ, I was actually, I was, I was flying without a parachute there, I was jumping without a safety net, I did the intro entirely from memory. I don't think that's as an impressive feat as you think it is, John. It's it you, you've done it enough times now that it should just be second well, nature, surely. We are forty-eight official episodes in, although technically, if you count episode zero, yeah, technically we're, this is our forty-ninth episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I had it for a while, then I lost it, and I needed that crutch. I needed to have the web page <laughs> open so I could read what I actually need to say. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think um, I think I've come through that period of doubt. I think I'm doing okay now, and you're a better person for it. Mm. I am, I am, and uh, I must say, PJ, it is it is nice to be back in the calm, intellectual, uh, professional podcasting world of the JLA cast <laughs> uh, after having done my first ever live live podcast. Um, if that makes sense, live on Twitch earlier this week, which was. <laughs> Uh, which was fun, but yeah, it was a very different energy in the room. I can imagine. Well, one, I've listened to a show called Hate, so I know what the three of you together how how that can go. Uh, but also, too, I think doing something live just does really change the dynamic, doesn't it? It just makes things different. Well, you know, well, PJ, um, we'll probably put that to test when we inevitably do our live our live show. I oh, mean, yeah. it's got to happen, right? I, th- I think so. I think so. Maybe when we reach episode 100, whatever Maybe story we arc or whatever yeah. we're looking at. <laughs> um, wouldn't the dream be to do do the JLA cast live at a, at a convention while interviewing GMOs themselves? That, that's got to be the... We can't reach any higher than that, surely. It is. That is the dream. The problem, I think, is then we just have to end the podcast because it won't get better than that. Oh, but what a way to go. We could <laughs> literally, like, walk off stage, delete the archive, just <laughs> kind of just, you know, quit fulfilled. We hit all our goals. And then go backstage and because, you know, our life is never going to get better than that, we just end it there and then. <laughs> Ritual what? suicide pact. <laughs> what Thelma and Louise it off the uh, off the pier into I don't know the le- the league's docks or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Do you see yourself coming to any conventions this year, PJ? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I haven't 
set firmly that I'm going to do any conventions this year. I'd like to, I think, at least try and do Thought Bubble mm. because I really missed it last year. I know it, you know, I know I could have gone even without a table. I could have just gone as a punter and, and seen all my comic friends, but I just didn't quite feel ready. I'm, yeah, we'll see how the year goes, but I'm hopeful that by Thought Bubble this year, I will be in a position where I feel like, okay, I can I can do a Comic-Con, um, mm. whether that's behind the table or not. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to, definitely. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no, there's no right or, or wrong answer there. It's, it's entirely about what you're, what you're comfortable with. <laughs> I was just wondering if that was like uh, something, because obviously, you know, you've recently bought a house, you know, you're doing all the kind of, God, I know, I know how much that takes up of your life and yeah. everything. And um, yeah, I think just from like, was it 2018 through to like 2020? Like when, when Lucy, after Lucy and I got married and we bought the house and everything, it was just like, that was just this massive presence in our lives. And it felt like we were quote unquote, I hate this word, but being normal for a while, if that makes sense. Like doing all this very kind of boring down to earth stuff and, yeah. you know, thinking about comic future plans and everything was pretty much the last thing on our mind. Yeah, I think I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, um, most of my money and time has to go into the house at the moment. Um, it, But as I say, Thought Bubble I definitely miss because I didn't go in 2019 either. My last Thought Bubble was 2018. Cause, same, same actually. Uh, 2019 was, was the year I was getting married and it was fairly close to Thought Bubble and we just didn't have the energy to do Thought Bubble as well as our wedding and honeymoon and all the preparation for that, so we didn't go. But yeah, I do miss it and... I'll hopefully make it there this year, but I'm it'd not promising. To... Well, no, it'd be good to see you because, I mean, the, yeah? the, the weirdest thing about this podcast is that we did this remotely before COVID. You yeah. Know, that was, we lived in, we live in different towns and, and then of course COVID. So I haven't actually seen you in person since Thought Bubble 2018, I want to say. God, yeah, you're right. Isn't that insane? That is insane. We, we, we do need to remedy that. I know, it's wild. It's like we've... We've probably spent, we have, there are more recorded hours of you and I talking <laughs> than we've probably ever had in person. Isn't that, isn't that wild? We won't know what to say when we do meet up again. He'll just be sitting there in uncomfortable no, be, silence. It'll be really awkward, actually. I, I, you know, I, and, also, and also when we record online, here's, everyone's getting a little window into the, um, the process. Uh, we just do audio only. Um, yeah. I guess because we want to focus on the comic, we don't want any distractions. So yeah, I've no idea what you look like anymore. Here's a little uh, behind the curtain for everyone. It's fairly early on a Sunday morning. I'm still in my pajamas. Oh, PJ. Well, you see, I made an effort. I I I I showered and then changed into sweatpants. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm I'm planning to go for a run straight after recording the podcast. So I didn't want to put clothes on for the podcast to just then have to take them off and put my running clothes no. on. You know, no, nobody wants that. No. That's just... <laughs> The um uh before before we dive into the wildly fantastical uh, stuff, the the wonder that everyone subscribes for. Um, how far are you planning on running, PJ? I want I want this kind of nitty gritty, down to earth. Well, I don't know. It's it's been a a little while since I ran, maybe about two three months for various reasons, um, and I, I if I could, I don't think I could quite hit five k. 
if I can do 3k today, I'll be happy and then sort of build back up to 5k over the week. So that next weekend, I'm back up to my standard 5k run. You could do a K for every part of this particular storyline. <laughs> yep, yep. So first run, I find the body of the Shaggy Man. Second run, I fight some ultramarines. This sounds like more energy than uh, I was wanting to put in, to be honest. I just wanted a leisurely slow run. But I would, I would say that you could synchronize your running to the podcast but then you'd never come home because what i mean we've got to be like 75 hours of audio content give or take yeah probably something like that yeah nah can't be doing that (laughs) um yeah but you put us to shame pj because you 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 kind of you get out there on the reg you know it's not all comics around here oh i try to yeah i think november and december last year just got very busy and then there was some COVID stuff as well. So just didn't have the time or energy to put into doing it. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, you know, New Year, I'll return to an old but better me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, PJ. Always looking forward. Always looking forward. Except when you're on this podcast, when we are looking, uh, what was it, like 20, 24 years into the past? Yeah, something anyway. like that. <laughs> Wait, oh, come on, come on, my brain is not working up yet. 98. Yeah, 24 years 2008. Now. Yeah, thank you. I, for a horrible moment, I was like, has it been 30 years? And I was like, no, no, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> no, hopefully we'll have, we'll have finished the, the Morrison run before it hits the ripe old age of 30. Uh, but PJ, PJ, there's only one, uh, only, one, uh, only one thing we need to talk about today, and that is the Shaggy Man. Yep. And PJ, actually, uh, rather embarrassingly, God, I'm, I'm just I'm just not in the zone this morning. Uh, I have picked up the wrong volume of JLA from my bookshelf, um, which is like a meter and a half away, but I am connected to the podcast device. So if you want to start talking, I'm going to glide over there and hopefully be back seamlessly. I, I want to know which volume you picked up. I picked up Strength in Numbers. Oh, John. Oh, John. Well, to be fair... I, I have historically always gotten these volumes confused on my bookshelf because they're of comparable length. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, PJ, start start being brilliant, and I'll I'll be back, and then you know I'll pick up. Well, as as John said, we are all about that Shaggy Man uh, today. We are carrying on part three of the Ultramarine storyline. So I guess he's more of the shaved man at this point, which is an absolute tragedy. But we have talking about the Shaggy Man. We have received. A shaggy email. Does that a work? A shaggy dog tail. About a shaggy man. Men's. Shaggy men's. Shaggy men. Men is the plural yeah, okay. of man. Sh- shaggy's men. This is what happens when you leave me to fend for myself. You're doing fine, PJ. <laughs> You're doing fine. But yeah, we, we've had an email from uh, Chris the Monitor Murphy. Thank you very much, Chris, for getting in touch again. Going into great detail about the shaggy man, and I loved it. And it made me realise as well that I have read two stories prior to this that had the shaggy man in not the ones i thought i had though and that i'd sort of gotten a few aspects of the shaggy man confused by conflating the original stories with the morrison story okay right so so you're saying so of the references that chris brings up how many were you familiar with so i have read two of them um if we go through his email and i will let you know which ones i've read as we go Okay, so I guess now, and 
Chris brings up a really interesting point, which I have, I was actually aware of, but I've forgotten and I failed to bring it up on a previous episode. But this weird little quirk that technically there have been two shaggy men. Yeah. And if we go back to JLA 45, that's pro- probably the first appearance where we have as as kind of recapped in the pages of um, two issues prior. We have Dr. Andrew Z- Z- Zagarian yes. accidentally creating the Shaggy Man. Yeah. Uh, Shaggy Man, according to, to Chris, I haven't read this one, uh, so I will have to dig it out. But Shaggy Man goes berserk and whoops the JLA. They figure the only thing that can stop a Shaggy Man is another Shaggy Man. So they get Dr. Zagarian to create a second Shaggy Man to fight Shaggy Man 1. The two beasts go at it and the JLA bury them in a deep hole to fight for eternity. Uh, apparently there was a space invader in there too, but that's not important. That's okay. a, Yeah, that sounds like a 1960s JLA story to me. <laughs> and I love it. I'm gonna, That is one I'm going to check out. I do love the idea of two shaggy men just endlessly fighting in a pit basically yeah that's delightful for me yeah okay but then we jump to jla 104 from february 1973 where green lantern villain hector hammond you know because why not um frees one of the shaggy men from the hole and and lets him loose against the league uh, and the Shaggy Man is only defeated by Green Lantern shrinking Shaggy Man and trapping him in a little plasma jar. Yeah, and then Shaggy Man and his tiny green prison were basically stashed away on the JLA satellite. Now, that's the one I'd read. Oh, okay, interesting. That's the issue I'd read, uh, I, which is why I sort of I had this idea in my head that Shaggy Man was created by Hector Hammond. And then I was like, no, that's not right. But it, it, I always conflated the two because I read this issue a long time ago, probably fairly soon after I read the original, um, sorry, the, the Grant Morrison stories. And I also then in later years always remembered it, the ending of it wrong. I think I okay. just sort of got the Morrison story so fixed in my head that I thought this story, JLA 104, ended with Aquaman stashing Shaggy Man away at the bottom of the ocean where we find him in JLA but that's not the case okay so now eagle-eared listeners might be asking themselves were there not two shaggy men who were put in the hole so hold that thought because now we're going to jump ahead to JLA 186 from January 1981 (laughs) after the league is contacted by the Russians there we go Flash points out that they still have a tiny shaggy man in a jar he also shares that a year earlier, the Flash, along with Green Lantern, battled Shaggy Man 2, because there are two of them, and encased him in ice. Although apparently, the second Shaggy Man escaped the ice and by the issue's end was tricked by Batman into riding a rocket into outer space. <laughs> I'm picturing that very Doctor Strange love in my head. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what, waving a cowboy hat? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so okay, so um, fact check, PJ. By January 1981, there is a big shaggy man in space, presumably still riding that rocket, waving his cowboy hat. Just having a lovely time. And there is a small shaggy man trapped in a jar in the JLA headquarters. Yeah. Okay. 
So next comes Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is the other one I've read, and I do. Rem- it's basically it's a cameo, but I remember it, and it is a, a great little sequence. Okay, so apparently we just have a minor little. I must I must confess, I've not actually read Crisis on Infinite Infinite Earths. I am a, I am aware of what happens in it. It's a bit of a gap in my in my reading list. Um, but we we have a little cameo where we see the Shaggy Man on the Anti Monitor's satellite, and he gets kind of blown up by Green Arrow. Yeah, yeah, just a few panels as. There's villains and heroes fighting and, and Green Arrow takes on the Shaggy Man. I'm wondering if that is the influence or part of the influence on the episode of the Justice League cartoon that sort of riffs on the story we're looking at today, but has Green Arrow leading a team instead of Batman. Yes, now that is interesting, of course, because they make yeah so in which i very much liked for the justice league cartoon yeah and that is a great episode yeah and the point being is that they very much mirror this story uh with general eiling transferring his consciousness into the body i forget is no in in the cartoon doesn't not actually the shaggy man in the cartoon they they sort of i think they have eiling transform into this this immortal hulking figure they don't actually use the shaggy man but it it turns him into the character we saw at the end of the last issue and through this issue we're about to look at um and it's it's then yeah green arrow leading a team of other leaguers none of whom have superpowers in a battle against this unstoppable force yeah because the irony being is that he turned himself into a weapon in order to battle superhumans yeah and they defeat him at the end by pointing out that he is the only superhuman in the battle Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then he leaves. Yeah, I want to I... say it's like Green Arrow, Huntress, Vigilante, Shining Knight, Speedy, and The Question. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. The Question was great in that series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Um, so, yeah. So, so so okay. So, we have two Shaggy Man. One big, one small. One who's apparently been blown up. I assume maybe the big one. Ni- neither of whom is buried in a jar at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. So Chris's theory is that the Shaggy Man in Crisis on Infinite Earths is the second Shaggy Man who was riding his missile through space, who was picked up by the Anti-Monitor, and at some point in the aftermath of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Aquaman puts Shaggy Man 2 in the underwater pod thing and puts him at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And so Chris points out that that would mean that the tiny shaggy man who was in a jar was on board the satellite when it was blown up by the Hyperclan way back in issue one. <laughs> yeah, and obviously mentions that because all the contents of the satellite basically poured into space when it blew up, there's a tiny shaggy man stuck in a tiny green jar floating around the void of space just waiting to be used in a future JLA story. I've got to say, what I find interesting about this is that we know that Morrison loves kind of pulling from comics history, like weird little deep cuts, yeah. particularly from the Silver Age, where everything was very fluid and weird, and doing crazy radical things with them. I love The Shaggy Man. I've never read any of the original appearances of The Shaggy Man. <laughs> everything about this storyline and the general, I love. Yeah. Um. It is very strange to me, then, that the whole thing about the Shaggy Man being in a jar at the bottom of the ocean apparently has never happened in a in a comic that we've seen Yeah, that has been printed. That's, yeah, but, that's really weird to me. 
it, what is, what's even weirder is Morrison does it so well in this story that they convinced me that it had happened in an earlier comic that I had read. It just seems like such a particular point. It's, it's a weird thing to make up, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with a character who has, hasn't really appeared post-crisis, and obviously you had the continuity reset and change there, I guess it is easier to, to do these things. What I need to do, I think, is actually dig out JLA year one and see if maybe that includes the Shaggy Man. I don't remember it including Shaggy Man, and I've read it a few times, but maybe that's where Aquaman puts him in a in a underwater capsule. Seems unlikely. I feel mm. like, you know, Chris would know, and Chris would have mentioned it in his email. Yeah, frankly, it was, it, Chris's knowledge does put us both to shame. Yeah, this is kind of, yeah Chris, again, massive thank you, and um, apologies, because you went to all the effort of sending us these incredible photos of of the issues in question, which is just astounding. And I just had real trouble viewing them. So I want to apologise because you kind of went above and beyond in actually trying to get those images to me. So thank you. But I do just want to say as well, um, thank you, Chris. Every email you send us gives me new comics to seek out and read. <laughs> and I love it. It's brilliant. So please keep sending them to us. And, and you know, anyone else listening along, if you haven't read the comics Chris is recommending, do check them out. They are absolute gems. And it really does help inform what we're reading in the well not current jla series it's 24 years old but you know what i mean <laughs> well i've got to say it's also just really nice to 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 know that people are listening and you know kind of engaging it's really it's mm. really delightful so yeah thank you chris it is very much appreciated Definitely. um but pj i i mean um we've been talking a lot about the shaggy man we kind of need to talk about um the non-shaggy man or the, the kind of the shaven man, I suppose. Well, if we dive straight into the issue, uh, <laughs> it basically opens moments after the end of the last issue where a shaved shaggy man with General Eiling's mind inside the body has just uh, busted out of this room and confronting Huntress. And we basically fly straight in with a massive shaved fist punching Batman. Huntress has been littering it with darts from her crossbow. And... <laughs> The Shaggy Man just says, The Shaggy Man. I never had another day unshaven since my daddy handed me my first razor. That Shaggy Man style had to go. So this is how you know Eiling is depraved. <laughs> this is, like, uh, I think I've mentioned many times now, but my introduction to this series was right at the end. Mm. It was reading World War Three, the final volume, and I loved it. I had no idea what was going on, but I loved it. I loved all these callbacks to characters I'd never met before. And we will get there in time, but the introduction of the general in uh, in World War Three, uh, I just love because like who is this character? This is insane, and and I had this real delight when I was finally able to piece the series together and go back to these earlier points. So this is I was discovering this in the wrong order, but I was I was just like the first time I read this, I was just like in you know ecstasies basically because I was like oh this is amazing. Now I get to see why they were all so scared of this character yeah. in the final volume. It he is this is he's one of those JLA threats that is basically purely a physical threat, which I don't think you get too many of through the series, but this he's just power at this point, and you just have to 
meet power with power basically just try and stay alive long enough to do something to take him down but it's it's not often i find that this this team faces a threat that is purely physical well true because i guess also like um this is really the era where morrison kind of upped for power level yes of, of the jla like or rather just kind of realize their true potential you know that they're, they're not really like kind of foiling bank robberies you know they are dealing to real, just kind of cosmic, existential threats to humanity. And, you know, I, we look at the things, that, the new things that Morrison's introduced, you know, kind of alongside these callbacks, like um, Prometheus um, making the key, you know, this new kind of twist on the key, you know, bringing the Shaggy Man back and essentially creating this new character. And when you have this pantheon of basically gods, you know, what could stand against them physically, toe-to-toe? And, you know, the the general, the Shaggy Man, actually feels like a, a real, credible, scary threat. Um, it's As you say, it's very rare that they have a physical challenge that they can't best. Yeah, and we're going to have coming up a, a couple more big threats in this volume, sort of hugely powered, cosmic-level uh, bad guys coming up. But they're not quite in done in the same way as they're not pure brawn like the Shaggy Man. There's a bit more to them than that. But yeah, so it's it is interesting to see the JLA coming up against all these different different kinds of of things to that all meet them in one way or another. And I think interesting to have, of course, from this astonishingly powerful enemy, uh, the first confrontation being with I don't want to say weakest, but you know, three of three of the least. I'm being very uncharitable here, but three of the least powerful leaguers. Well, yeah, it's it's Batman and Huntress who have no powers at all, and Plastic Man. <laughs> yeah, who, who I think could probably give the general a bit of a run for for his money. Could at could at least annoy him enough. Yeah, I I don't think. I don't believe Plastic Man really has enhanced strength per se, other than what he can sort of do with his form and put behind that. But he's certainly durable. Yeah, and and also one th- one thing I do like here is that like obviously um, you know Batman's bleeding, Huntress is bleeding. I mean Batman's lucky to have a head, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know Plastic Man is all about the jokes. You know Plastic Man comes across as. He would like you to believe, I feel, that he is quite a cowardly, irreverent character. But it's a very small detail, but I like that just because this thing appears to be about to like just crush Huntress, he just instantly leaps in. You know, like, and obviously he's doing it in a comedic way, like he's growing into like a a, a copy of of the uh, of the Shaggy Man. Hmm. But like, yeah, I, I just like how there is a depth to Plastic Man, which I think Morrison recognises. And he, he just, yeah, he's right in the fray against this terrifying enemy. Yeah, who unfortunately just punches him away. <laughs> right in the face, which is not good. <laughs> and then uh, we, we get almost a double-page spread of, of the Shaggy General. He's just <laughs> holding Huntress up with her head encased in his fist as she fires more darts into him and he shouts you can call me the general and be nice about it little lady so this is where we get this is this new version of the character's name his supervillain name is the general that's not really cemented until you get to his next appearance but this is the first time that's that's referred to and here's where we get the uh, the title and credits so this is our army at war 
Grant Morrison, writer, Mark Pagerillo, guest penciler, Walden Wong, guest inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat Garrahy, colorist, digital chameleon separations, Tony Bedard, associate editor, Dan Raspler, editor. And uh, a quick shout out to our guest penciler, Mark Pagerillo, whose work, I have to say, I've only really encountered in the pages of JLA. Likewise. Pops up. At, but I did, a, I did a little bit of searching because I really like his artwork. Yes, me too. It is it is a it is a world away from Howard Porter, but it's a really nice kind of uh, contrast, I think. And I was doing a bit of googling because I was like, "Where? What's Mark Padrillo up to now? You know, what, what's what's he doing?" And um, I found that obviously he'd done work for Image and DC in the nineties. You know, kind of this was very much like his period in comics. Mm. And I was like, "Where's he gone now?" And now he works for Naughty Dog. He works in the gaming oh. industry. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's done stuff for like uh, Blizzard, Naughty Dog, um, tons of other kind of game, you know, uh, gaming developers as a, you know, as an artist, as an environmental artist, as a character artist. Kind of the same as um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now, but chap who was the stand-in artist on some of the um, Prometheus stories, Arnie Jorgensen. Yes, and he, of course, uh, as we discovered at the time, went on to work in video games and I think was one of the artists on the Banner Saga games. Mm, yes. So, yeah, so again, I kind of like that because we have a bit of a tunnel vision in comics where I think we kind of assume that if you're not hearing about a creator in the big two, then they don't kind of exist anymore. Well, Which, of course, is not true. It's a very skewed way of looking at the world. I just like the fact that these people who I, whose work I loved are still working, albeit in a different field. It kind of... I remember the first time I sort of realised that comic artists could do... And, you know, <laughs> it sounds very reductive, but comic artists could do other other things. And, and I sort of thought, well, yeah, that makes total sense. And it always makes me happy when I see them branching out and doing other things like that. But the first time I encountered it was in the 90s when um, Steve Scrose was doing a lot of work on X-Men and Wolverine at the time. And mm. then I found out he was also a storyboard artist on The Matrix. Like, oh wow that's weird. really cool and i'm just glad that there are these other avenues for these artists because sometimes it does feel like an artist or the big artists may have a shelf life in comics and when comics mm. falls out of love with that artist you stop hearing about them and maybe they've moved to a different publisher that isn't one of the big two or maybe they are doing video games or movie storyboards or something like that but it's just good to know that Sometimes when you're not hearing about an artist, they're still working. They're still doing something they love. And if you look at some of the art these guys produce for movies and video games, it's still beautiful, stunning artwork. So, yeah. Oh, and frankly, given the way the industry is structured, you know, kind of pay page rates, um, punishing monthly schedule that Jack Kirby inflicted on us all. <laughs> uh, and, and, and certainly just, you know, my own personal experiences of it all. Like, yeah, I... Frankly, I would imagine that a lot of artists would be a lot happier in other industries. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think there are easier ways to make a living. I want to say one more thing about uh, Mark Pagerillo's art here and just comparing and contrasting it with the last time we had... Um, not Well, not the last time, but a previous guest artist we have. And it's sort of one of the ways I look at do I like this artist as much or not. If you remember we did when we did JLA Secret Files and Origins 2... I think I know exactly what you're going to say, PJ. Yes. The, I can't remember the name, but the artist in that book... It was Yannick Paquette. Yes. Had a tendency, certainly in that comic, to, let's say, 
over-sexualized Huntress. Mm. And there is none of that in this issue. Pajarillo doesn't even attempt it. He just draws a, a, a woman who's capable and fighting for her life without making it, you know, horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to just not be a horn dog constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, one thing I will ask, I think this is the only time we see uh, Mark Padrillo draw the general. How do you feel about the general with a, a little bit of hair on his head versus uh, how Howard Porter draws the general? He's kind I, of bald, isn't he? Yeah, I um, I think I prefer the crew cut because interesting. It's interesting. it's it's very much a a military affectation, isn't it? It feels like what what it feels more natural to me in terms of what General Eiling would think he needs to to look like. It's so yeah, I I actually I prefer him with a little bit of hair. Well, I I love Mark Padrillo's artwork, so I'm not taking away from that. But I think I personally prefer Howard Porter's depiction mm-hmm. because I've mentioned it before I have such a thing for the improbable proportions of the 90s yes and if a character needed to be chunky you you get out your old rotary phone and you dial Howard Porter because the, the general as drawn by Howard Porter is just the chunkiest oh yeah disnecked character you could imagine I, I love it yeah proportionally Porter's I think if you could put the hair Pajarillo gave him on Porter's proportions <laughs> and that would be my perfect shaggy man oh sorry general general apologies yes no we have to we have to be nice about it and call him call him the general <laughs> anyway so Batman just just throws two grenades at him yeah and I love this panel I think Pajarillo draws a brilliant Batman in this panel leaping forward and throwing these two grenades that have bat wings because of course they do <laughs> they're just regular grenades but with bat wings coming out the side oh brilliant I love it and and he shouts at Eiling to put Huntress down. You know when like uh, a loved one is disappointed in you, <laughs> and they use your name. Like I think I can tell Batman is royally pissed here when he actually just calls him by his name. Yeah, and then if you turn the page, we get this incredible panel of essentially the general's arm exploding off his body with a shower of blood, but it's coloured purple, so they get away with it. If this was red blood, this would be enough to for them to go, this should be a Vertigo book now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I love the visual language that's instantly set up here about um, the purple blood, mm. you know, it'll, and, and the fact, of course, as the general won't shut up about telling you, uh, the fact that he is invulnerable, immortal, self-regenerating, you know, I think that's the right wording. Yes. But yeah, so yeah, we're going to see a lot of general limbs kind of blown up, basically. Yeah, it's it's pretty... In fact, Plastic Man says it in the next panel, hardcore. <laughs> and Batman just says, yeah, he's right. The Shaggy Man was unbeatable. The League was only ever able to restrain him. And back then, he was mindless. Then he goes to check we- on Huntress as, as the general grows this tiny little arm out of his shoulder. Yeah, and, and within like... Well, seconds now has now has a full arm. Yeah, basically, uh, and he says, "I feel no pain," but um, I don't know. I might debate that slightly because he did kind of scream when Batman blew his arm up. Yeah, I wonder if there's if maybe the Shaggy Man doesn't have pain receptors, but because Eiling still has a human brain, mm. he's conditioned to assume that when your arm blows up, it's going to hurt. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh... I also love how 
obviously we know that Batman doesn't kill, and we yeah. know that Batman modulates his violence perfectly depending on the person he's attacking. Um, I also love that 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 doesn't mean it means Batman is practical more than anything. So if you have a rule against killing, but you know you're faced with an immortal who can regenerate in instincts, yes, you throw a grenade at them, even if you're Batman. Arms are fair game then. <laughs> <laughs> Kneecaps as well. Um, but yeah, so um, the stage is set. You know, um, our three most vulnerable heroes are stuck with this monstrosity. And we cut away to the streets of Phoenix, Arizona to see what's become of the rest of the league. Um and we have um, we have the kind of this kind of faceless military commentary kind of setting scene, and we learn that thirty uh, percent of the current JLA roster is down or accounted for. Yeah, so we see Steel and Barda both have the the energy discs on them, pinning them to the floor like they had in the last issue. They're down. We get the report that Green Lantern has been disabled by the sonic weapon. Flash is down. Wonder Woman's down. Uh, and the Ultramarine Corps have got minor damage but no loss of personnel. And then we just see the Ultramarines leading a, a whole troop of soldiers through the streets, sweeping for stray members of the Justice League. And the shot then slowly pulls out until you start looking at the Ultramarines in between two red boots and the bottom <laughs> of a cape. Oh, I wonder who they're walking towards. And it's just one of those moments you know you're going to turn the page and get something brilliant. Really small point. Um, I love the way that Mark... Padrillo draws tiny figures yes. in shot. Yeah, he's really he's, good at that. I, it, it's the the shots of um Pulsate and um Oh my life. Warmaker. Warmaker one. Kind of just drifting through through the air. They they just look great. Like they're tiny little sketches, but there's a weightlessness to them, which I love. Yeah. Um but yes, um, well, it's Superman, isn't it? It is. And I like that he doesn't go for the obvious thing, which would be for the first panel on the next page to be a big close-up of Superman. Mm. Instead, we get a bird's-eye view of the Ultramarines behind this group of soldiers, and then a gap, and then Superman, just this tiny solitary figure on the road. As he starts asking them to listen to him, he's Superman, they know who he is. The JLA is not betraying anyone, and they're obeying the orders of a very sick man. And then you get the close-ups as Superman... They, they're aiming at him with his with their guns and Superman says, just let me, please let me speak. And I think Pajarillo draws an excellent, disappointed Superman. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's... it's th this is a very... This is a moment that is quite understated. Like, or rather, it's a moment that doesn't get the appreciation... It deserves, I think, just yes. these two pages, because this is this is Morrison, perhaps at their most symbolic. Like everything that they themselves have talked about, particularly in their autobiography about superheroes being here to save us from the bomb. The concept of a superhero is an idea that will save humans from their own destructive self tendencies, and and here we. I I think this is this is this is literally Morrison's laying it out there. This is literally Superman versus violence. This is Superman versus man-made violence. It's, it's Superman versus the military, and he's doing nothing. He's just standing there. Yeah, the last panel on this page is just Superman being 
littered with bullets. They're firing at him with these automatic weapons and he's just stood there taking it and just looking down with a face saying, humanity's let me down on this one and I'm not happy about it. And over the course of the next page, we we get, uh, well, frankly, there are 11 panels on this page, which is quite exceptional. Um, And it's amazing how well it works. We keep cutting from the soldiers firing to close-ups of Superman, sometimes an extreme close-up. And this is 100% intentional from Morrison and Padrillo. Intense close-ups of the S on his chest. Yeah, it's a symbol. It represents something. And these soldiers are shooting at it. And I, I, I'd say I think Pajarillo draws the S on Superman's chest slightly larger than Porter does, and for this sequence, it just feels right to have it be just just a little bit bigger. Draw your attention to it a bit more. I, I I've mentioned this before. I have this recurring thing with Superman where it's like I see Superman so often in my life. You know, he lives around the corner. Um, <laughs> that like things. When you see something really often, you become familiar with it, and the it loses its meaning a bit over time. Yeah, because it just it just blends into the background, and there are little moments where I just actually look, actually look at Superman, and I'm reminded that a his costume is incredibly unique and unusual compared to other heroes, and and just how striking the S is, like yeah. just it's this really weird flag on his chest and. Yeah, occasionally I'm just struck once again as if I'm seeing this character for the first time, but, like, good grief, he is something. Like, he really just... There is a look and a, a weight to him, which is which is kind of astonishing to me. And I, I think that Morrison is one of the very best writers at reminding us what Superman actually is and what Superman actually means. I don't think there are very many writers who can who can do that as well as they can. Oh, true. And and again, this is not this would never make any of those kind of like top ten Superman moment lists. No, but... this isn't electric Superman moving the moon all on his own. <laughs> or wrestling an angel. In the same issue, yeah. I hasten to add. <laughs> But this is incredible. This is incredible. And and it's one of those things that, you know, as much as we love electric blue Superman, you could only do with the true blue. Mm. And, yeah, and the reaction of the soldiers as they are, again, a very real-world form of violence, like firing very real-world weaponry at this comic book character. I know we're in a comic, but you know what I mean. And the reaction of a soldier going, literally seeing bullets bounce off his chest going, I can't shoot Superman. I think this is kind of... It would be quite a profound experience for somebody in the real world for Superman to just turn up. And it's like, yeah, the the soldiers, they have this kind of genuine crisis where they're like, what on earth are we doing? We're shooting Superman. You can't do that. You're Superman. Yeah. It's it's amazing. You get a couple of close-ups of Superman in between these shots of the soldiers going, what are we doing? With just a few fewer bullets hitting him sort of the the officer starts shouting at the men, what are you doing? You're stopping. And then you get this close-up of Superman's right foot as the last bullet bounces off it. And the number of bullets on the street that he is now stood on, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And Superman hasn't said a word on this page as well. He's just stood there looking at these men and glaring 
as they shoot at him and i think it's it's perfect it's just so good yeah you know and this is why this kind of just proves that it doesn't always just have to be a big fight like the weight of superman the importance of superman is is his existence is his presence like he solves this situation by being himself just being there he did not have to beat up 50 soldiers yeah to do it yeah and and yeah that's that's the power of of superman and i'm gonna say as well i think you know we've had some brilliant guest artists on jla we really have but i think mark pagerillo is my favorite and it's because Mm. of moments like this so good it's so good and and again just this is the magic this is why this is why we turn up to morrison land basically (laughs) this is worth the price of admission yeah however as the soldiers all disobey orders and kind of lower their guns um we see a shadow across superman's back his cape has been kind of torn to shreds and we see warmaker one just floating above him with a missile like aimed at the at his head kind of point blank and um he explains that he's he has a tactical atomic bullet which i kind of love uh, it's clean, microscopic. It will devastate a few feet radius without leaving radiation. Our guys reckon this this one will even take you down. Yeah, but Superman just turns around and looks back at him and just says, "Maybe," but and then explains everything. Like Eiling is sick. I saw a tumor in his brain with my X-ray vision. You must see how irrational all of this is. He's unfit for command, and also you're dying. My mm. microvision has seen that the synthetic metagene you were given is toxic and it's killing all four of you. And then 4D just starts shouting that she knew it, something wasn't right. She she did say in the last issue. Flo still wants to believe the military and tries to sort of say, well, that's not Superman, he's being mind-controlled. And Pulsate just says he's telling the truth. I also really like that Superman, in talking to Warmaker 1, as you say, uses complete honesty... But also calls him by his name, calls yes. him Lieutenant Colonel Sawyer, and yeah, and 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 also uses the kind of military language which would speak to Warmaker One, you he, know, literally saying like Eiling is unfit for command. Yeah, and he doesn't just go, he's crazy. But then also uses his rank. So yeah, as you say, using the military terms as well, but also showing respect, even yes, though yes. this guy has been beating the crap out of him for a while. <laughs> yeah and there's some great moments coming up which we'll comment on when we get there in future issues but again just superman just being the bigger the bigger man yeah. in every situation basically yeah uh but then we cut to um our two favorite uh <laughs> our two favorite underdogs who frankly are having a terrible time they are. Uh, <laughs> kyle has finally stopped throwing up uh he's just covered in vomit and um, Flash, Flash's leg is still bleeding profusely, and uh, that he's moaning more than anything about the fact that um, even Zariel did better than them. <laughs> <laughs> can can we just quickly talk about the colouring job here and the absolutely grotesque shade of green they've managed to give the the vomit dripping off Kyle's gloves? <laughs> well, you've got to pick a different green to the official yeah, Green Lantern yeah. branded green. <laughs> Yeah, but they've they've managed to pick one that you look at and you go, Ugh. And, and yeah, it's a great job. Um, so yeah, so right off the bat, we know that the tide has turned, and yeah, Warmaker One still has his doubts, but you know, 
Superman just says, look, what you can either believe that the entire JLA has gone insane and, you know, is betraying America, or you can believe that your commanding officer has a brain tumour. You know, just give him a call. Like, literally just call him, see what happens. And you can see that the rest of the Ultramarines are, are, are turning as well. But we just get a nice little thing where Flo, Flo is angry because water... Uh, sounds are louder when travelling through water. So uh, kind of 4D screaming is is really hurting his ears, his non-existent ears, basically. But crucially as well, Superman standing his ground like this has given some of the League time to rally. So Zariel, Wonder Woman and Aquaman have also now joined him. Yes, but having Wonder Woman back is a, is a big boon to the side. Because, yeah, yeah um, no, no disrespect to uh, the Fish and Fowl team, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I think we need another heavy hitter here. Yeah. And uh, Warmaker 1 kind of falters for a moment and then um, puts in a call to Eiling. Yep. And the scene ends. And then we uh, turn the page and we get an action shot of Batman, Huntress and Plastic Man. Batman throwing more with grenades and Huntress shooting darts, though in two wildly different directions. So I'm not 100% sure what's happening here. I think Batman is blowing a hole in a wall oh, yes. that they can escape through. Uh, and I love how his 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 bat grenades are literally grenades with bat wings yeah, pointing out again, the side. Just brilliant. That is delightful. Um, yeah, and uh, we see that uh, the general is just kind of firing at them with a massive uh, a massive kind of Gatling gun sort of thing that looks tiny in his hand. That does look tiny in his hand. And again, no shade on Mark Padrillo, but when we see some of the guns that Howard Porter oh God, gives yeah. the general, <laughs> I mean. It's no contest, really. Um, but yeah, but um, Eiling, you know, he hears Warmaker 1 trying to call. Um, he assumes that means he's calling to say, hey, boss, you know, we've defeated the league, all is well. Um, but he does mention that he stopped Batman's transmission. So apparently Batman was trying to call for aid, I think. Yeah, and then we get a little panel and Oracle is in her watchtower. She radios into the rest of the League saying she had part of a message from Batman, some coordinates and something about General Eiling and the Shaggy Man before it was cut off. And you cut back to the uh, the team in, in the base and Batman says, always think ahead. And Huntress is very like, look, we'll congratulate you another time. We're at a dead end at the moment. Yeah, and they've arrived at a teleport dock. And this is a really small thing, but I do kind of appreciate it. In a world where, you know, there are aliens, gogs, other realms, magic, and all this kind of crap, I do love the idea that in certain circles, teleportation is just a, a usable thing. Like, we saw that uh, uh, Green Green Arrow teleported to the JLA Watchtower from yep. Star Labs. The reporters teleported up to the Watchtower. And now we see that the military just have their own teleport dock. So yeah. I like that. Yeah, which Plastic Man says, oh, we can use that to escape. And Batman just says, well, it's not that easy. This is a bulk transmitter. It's not designed for living tissue. And now, mm, where do you, at this point, PJ, in continuity, do you believe that Plastic Man is living tissue? Oh, um, yes. Just a different kind of living tissue. Because I think in later issues... I think post the Obsidian Age, so way, way, way past the Morrison era, I think some of the stuff that happens to Plastic Man at that point, I think it's kind of confirmed that he's no longer biological. 
if that makes sense because he's he's kind of immune to psychic attack afterwards yeah i think i uh, i don't know i'm i'm wondering if even plastic man doesn't really know at this point <laughs> you know i i think i think also at one point i think when they're battling the elite in issue 100 of this series i think a character says that plastic man doesn't actually have um neurons anymore so so they can't you know something they were doing to scramble the league's motor functions didn't work on him because his body was literally just made of clay essentially hmm. anyway but yeah i always kind of like to believe that plastic man could have escaped here potentially yeah but he doesn't he stays he doesn't know and he, he huntress says that the general stopped shooting and Plastic Man says, yeah, he's he's found bigger targets with lots of little people in them and he's going to draw little red rings all around them and blow it up. Tell us you have a plan, Cape Crusader. And uh, yeah, so the general um, has a mission, uh, but he does point out that uh, he, he hasn't forgotten about them because his body comes with enhanced senses so he can smell the adrenaline in their sweat. So he'll come back for them when he's done. So, yeah, they found a teleport pod, or bay, but they can't quite escape yet. Yeah. But he... Batman has a plan. That's mm. it. This panel I like is a little subversion, because the first thing Batman says is, I appreciate your confidence in me, Plastic Man. And the natural instinct after that is would be to sort of say, I appreciate the confidence in me, but no, we're screwed. I have no plan. But, of course, it's <laughs> Batman. So he just goes, of course I have a plan. It's also nice that, you know, I'm not saying that comics have to be gory to have impact, but um, I like the fact that Batman is just bleeding profusely from yes. his nose. Yeah, he's, he's been through the ringer. Um, so, yeah, so the general starts uh, kind of tapping away on uh, various kind of, you know, military controls that uh, apparently are linked to a few nukes. So that's not good. Um, but, yeah, the second phase of his plan, now he's in the Shaggy Mang's body, is to, um, yeah, kind of nuke a few places, blame Saddam, which is a wonderfully time timely reference. Yep. Uh, then take control of the country and, uh, you know, just uh, gradually take over the world and run it as a military dictatorship. So nothing big. But then Batman approaches him and says, too bad that brain isn't designed to support much activity. And then goes, he stood there in a classic Batman pose. This isn't a Batman ready for action. This is your dark, sinister Batman wrapped oh, up so in good. his cape with the pointy bits just dragging along the floor. And he's just basically starts hypnotizing the general using his voice alone because the the shaggy man's body is primitive it's it's it can't think rationally like a normal human brain and the body wasn't designed to house a normal human mind so he's he's successfully hypnotizing the general and again i i I can't think of many creators who would who would have gone down this route like this is pure morrison genius yeah and of course, just complete subversion. I like. I love it. It's so clever. It's so needlessly clever. And and Batman looks incredible here. Like, just I know there's a desire to constantly make costumes look more realistic. We've talked about it before. But like, this is Batman as a comic book character, where the massive ears on his on his cowl, his cape, just being like the pure shadow. He just looks incredible. I, I love everything about this. Yeah, yeah, me too. And the fact that in the the panel towards the end of the page, then when you get a close up of Batman's face as he's continuing to hypnotize the general, there's almost a little smile as he's like, <laughs> "I've won. I'm Batman. I've got this." 
And then sadly, um, the wall explodes and the general is sent flying. And uh, the heavy hitters are here. <laughs> and we see the Ultramar- Ultramarines and the League bursting through the wall. And Batman is very frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Shouts, Superman, I almost had him. And, you know, I know the rest of the League have the best intentions, but uh, this does just perfectly cement and demonstrate the differences in approach here. And, yeah, bless him, because Superman is like, he is unstoppable, don't hold back, use any method to subdue him. So literally, the only approach they can they can think of in the moment is just all-out violence. And you, it's a glorious panel. It's about two-thirds of the page, I think, of Superman letting rip with his heat vision, Warmaker 1 firing a missile into the general's shoulder, Wonder Woman about to punch him in the stomach, Aquaman hacking with his with his hook, and Zauriel taking his sword to the general's neck. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty intense. I guess um, I know this is a terrifying threat and all that, but it must be nice for the league to have a punching bag they can just let loose on. It's pretty gnarly. I love it. This panel. It's great. Nice to get a workout every now and then. Yeah. Um, and then, as the general kind of punches Superman, uh, sends him flying. Um, you see, Batman just hasn't let it go yet because he's still pissed <laughs> off. He's just kind of muttering to himself, saying, "Oh, for the first time, he was vulnerable to psychological attack." Okay, plan B. And uh, he gestures and and asks for Wonder Woman's help. Yeah, and then Wonder Woman flies over to Superman and says, uh, Batman says, can we knock Eiling about 25 feet through that wall at a 37 degree angle? And Superman just goes, yeah, sure, on my mark, Mach 3. <laughs> we don't get many moments of Wonder Woman and Superman interacting, sadly. Mm. Uh, this is nice. I, I think there's a particular relationship between the two that, is born from just being that powerful. Yes. You know, and and it's I love the you okay because it's like she knows he is. Yeah. But it's just like you okay? You know, you in the game? Okay, cool. We just need to do this incredibly precise thing. <laughs> but it's also a nice trinity moment because Wonder Woman's come over, she says, "Look, we need to do this." Batman says so, and Superman's just straight away like, "Cool. We'll do it then. If it, if Batman's got this plan, let's do it." And shorthand as well. We'll just go Mac 3. Let's punch him. Um, meanwhile, the Ultramarines are having a bit of a, a crisis. Uh, to my eternal uh, dismay, uh, uh, Pulse 8 uh, is too kind of um, confused to really do anything interesting because <laughs> I love Pulse 8 yeah. and we don't see enough of him. Um, but uh, Flo and 4D just are like, well, screw it. And they, they attack the general. And uh, we get a, a lovely little two-dimensional um, 4D which is a weird thing to say, yeah. looking like a little paper paper cutout person distracting the general. Yeah, as in the background, Superman and Wonder Woman are flying towards us, breaking the sound barrier because you get these two kaboom sound effects above and below <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, the general has enough time to go sonic booms <laughs> before just, yeah, wow, just getting absolutely, um, I don't really have a word for it, just, blasted through a wall yeah he he's with purple blood pouring out of his mouth <laughs> as he flies backwards but he's not quite gone far enough and batman shouts oh uh, get superman back and then warmaker one flies in and saying eiling's mine and fires the tactical atomic bullet yeah which hits the general square in the chest to the point that we see ribs pop out yeah it's <laughs> again if that blood was red this would be a vertigo book 
Small detail, uh, once again, I really like uh, Mark Padrillo's tiny Warmaker 1 flying uh, and the little swirl of, of smoke behind him. Yeah, yeah that it's is, lovely. That's delightful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, to Warmaker 1's absolute horror, the general continues to heal. Yep, just says, I can't die. <laughs> And then he sort of monologues, says to everyone, maybe you'll understand now why I chose this particular body. Professor Sagarian built the Shaggy Man to last. And he's going on about how he's immortal. Their children and their grandchildren will live in a world under his rule when they're all dead. And then he sort of goes, wait, where am I? And Batman says, oh, you're on a teleporter for synthetic items and uh, your body is synthetic. And teleports him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, And... um... Yeah, Superman very quickly got with the picture because, again, the League are professionals and the Trinity have been working together for a very long time. So, yeah, Batman came up with the plan. Presumably, they very quickly uh, shared knowledge of it between uh, between panels. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they realised that no human prison on Earth will ever contain the Shaggy Man or the General. They tried. It didn't work. So they are teleporting the General to an asteroid basically um a rocky needle a rocky needle six miles in length millions of miles from here in the heart of the asteroid belt but what i also love about this despite everything else everything that's just happened superman starts his his chat to the general with i'm sorry oh you're right he apologizes to him he's like this isn't a fate i'd wish on anyone but your freedom threatens the entire planet yeah yeah, and you know, you now you could certainly argue that the general didn't get didn't get a trial here in front of his peers, but he is so dangerous, like literally he has no peers. He is a he is a threat on another level. And uh, not a very nice fellow, PJ. So No, I I I'd, I'd go as, as saying he's he's a wrong one. <laughs> he's he's quite a bad sort, as uh, <laughs> as they say around here. Uh, and we get a lovely use of uh, empty speech bubbles as the general is suddenly um, on this asteroid, which does look like a massive tower in space, mm. uh, roaring. And um, yeah, it's just silent bubble, silent bubble, really big, spiky silent bubble. So maybe it's a curse you, Superman? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he's swearing. He's probably swearing. Um, but yeah, frankly, best place for him. Um, I mean, we, although, of course, we've seen in the past that shaggy men have apparently been blasted into space before. Um, they have returned. Well, if, if, uh, if Chris's theory is correct, that's this one. Indeed. Yes. Although maybe he'll meet the Diddy shaggy man who's out there. <laughs> it just floats past the asteroid in its tiny, tiny jar. That would be amazing. That w- I- I honestly wouldn't have put that sort of thing past Morrison. No. That would have just been <laughs> bizarre. Okay, but then, PJ, um, we, we we haven't had it for a while, but now we're getting the, the classic JLA um, smorgasbord of epilogues. Well, no, we get we get one epilogue, and then we get some prologues. Oh, you're right. I'm an idiot, PJ. Sorry, I completely misread that. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Uh, but the epilogue is, is is basically a quick scene. They're in back in the Oval Office. The president is there. It it could be Clinton. It could be Bush. To be honest, I'm not sure which one was. Yeah, it would have been Bush at this point, wouldn't it? But it's got Bush's hair, but Clinton's face. Who knows? But it's basically the president going, "Oh yeah, uh, you all you're all great. 
you the JLA, you the Ultramarines, even though you were fighting each other, you're all great. And Warmaker one's basically, yeah, but we were trying to kill them, and this guy's S on his chest, that's better than any flag I could fight for, and we're going to go and have plans. Oh, by the way, the JLA saved our lives. Sorry, PJ, this is embarrassing now, but actually, would it have been Clinton? Didn't Bush come... Hey, American listeners, we're sorry. Uh, Didn't Bush come into power in 2000? He had two terms, and then Obama came in in 2008. Yes, you're right. It was 2000. So, yeah, it would be Clinton still. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) I can barely keep track of who's in charge of our country, to be honest. It's a very small image, so it is... It could easily be either of them because it's basically a grey-haired man. So, but yeah, probably is Clinton actually. But um, either way, regardless of who it is, uh, the Ultramarines are not accepting the job at the White House. Uh, instead, they have their own plans. Yeah, and there's there's that. He does, you know, he says Superman's S is more important to me than any other flag. And then after the JLA say, you know. Your lives are fine, but we couldn't restore your humanity. What will you do? And then you get the Ultramarines stood in front of the American flag, and Warmaker 1 just says, everything you can't, Superman. And we have to assume the Ultramarines are still, you know, slowly dying. No, there's there's a moment... I think this, this is what's supposed to cover it. Warmaker 1 does say at the beginning of the second panel on the page, you saved our lives, we owe you, Superman. Oh, and I, I'm sorry. I think that's yeah. supposed to imply that the JLA have somehow find a way to stop the synthetic metagene from killing them. Although it is yeah. very blink and you'll miss it and not really covered in any detail. But it doesn't need to I be. F- I felt it was there somewhere and then I, I, I'd i forgotten where and I was just looking over that page thinking, where is the reference? Where is the reference? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, you're right, PJ. Um, but yes, yeah, so... Um, in a in a DC uh, universe where there is no shortage of superhero teams, meet the latest one, um, <laughs> where we we get the mission statement from the Ultramarines at a press conference over the ruined remains of Monte Video from DC One Million. Yep, yep. They've built a massive floating city that they have called Superbia. Um, which Pulsate made. Yep, uh, because of his connection to the four fundamental forces of the universe. Um, yeah, and basically this is two pages of, of Warmaker 1 going, we're gnarly, edgy 90s superheroes. With amazing designs. Yeah, I think it's it's the, the last... They basically say they'll welcome anyone in Superbia, all nations, opens its gates to super champions from the four corners of the Earth, and then says... We intend to serve as a first strike global peacekeeping force. We will kill if we have to. If we have to, we'll let you know because we're edgy in nineties. Well, yeah, it's um, I I think we are definitely going to have to cover once we're done with the main series. I think one of the things we have to cover is the second appearance of the Ultramarines, as written by Morrison. I've never read it, so yeah. I've read it once, and most of it I've forgotten. But I know there are ties to the later series, Seven Soldiers of Victory, also by Morrison. <laughs> so, worth checking out. But I do wonder whether Morrison was just kind of laying something down here, and then potentially other creators could pick up if they felt like it, or DC would have another kind of just playing piece. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there were any, ever any greater plans for for uh, the Ultramarines. 
Well, they've clearly been on a recruitment drive because we get a last team shot of them and you get the four original members plus uh, Vixen, Jack-O-Lantern, Knight and Squire and I'm not sure who the big big silver guy with the red circle on his chest is. I might have got this wrong. I think Jap... No, I'm maybe thinking of... I was going to... I thought the character was called Fuji but I think I'm thinking of Stormwatch over at Wildstorm which has a similar character. Anyway, yeah, it's a weird lineup, if I'm honest. It is, it is, and including former leaguers and, of course, Knight and Squire that are characters Morrison does have a fondness and affinity for. Uh, characters that Morrison has expressly stated in the special features for Batman and Robin Volume 2 that they would quite happily write a... British set Knight and Squire series for, for, till the end of time. <laughs> if if they had the option, they would do it. Um, but yeah, in fact, come to think of it, I think um, the uh, Knight and Squire we see here, I kind of want to say that Morrison may have done more with those characters than any other creator. Yeah, probably. They popped up a lot as supporting characters in their in in Morrison's run on Batman. Yes, they did. You, yes, you can tell they've got an affinity for them. I'm sure they 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 wrote a mini series about Knight and Squire as well, didn't they? Yes, and that wasn't Morrison, but oh, it wasn't. Was, okay, was it Jimmy Palmiotti? Uh, no, I'm getting confused now. I can't remember who was involved on it. I will say, and this is a weird little quirk: if you have if you own the DC Encyclopedia. Uh, probably the first edition from around to mid two thousands. The entry for Knight and Squire uses a cutout from this page, but it wrongly has cut out Pulse Eight and Squire and <laughs> labelled them as Knight and Squire. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You know, if you hadn't come across any of these characters before, you looked at this page and said, which one is Knight? Well, I, I mean, for the longest time, I kind of assumed that was a character called Knight. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Very weird. There you go. That's the fact. That's the facts you don't get on any other podcast. <laughs> but we, we cut back to the JLA watchtower. They've clearly just watched this press conference as Superman, Wonder Woman and Aquaman are walking along. And Aquaman has the great line, superbia, fascistopolis, I've lived too long. Honestly, that line from Aquaman, I've lived too long. Like, I don't want to say that Morrison invented that. Maybe someone else said it beforehand. But that has always remained in my brain <laughs> like literally that just that pops into my head whenever whenever i get that aquaman moment literally i just go i live too long yeah i, I like don't, that i don't think i've ever empathized more with aquaman than i have on this page <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but we do get i know i know um sometimes this kind of like you know when we get these kind of this kind of rapid fire of epilogues or prologues as we occasionally do in these issues mm. uh it can feel a bit kind of um uh, kind of smushed because uh, you know there's a lot happening in a short span of time, but we do get a nice little moment between Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, even in a busy few pages. It's just nice to have like a little character moment, a quiet moment. Yeah, and you know, Wonder Woman says everything's changing. 
And Superman points out that, you know, there are some ex-leaguers among them, but they have no power to stop what they're doing, and they only have to hope that they'll never have to. And we also say, and we also get a nice little thing where um, apparently Jean has requested a leave of absence, you know, because, yeah, like he's he's still reeling from the events of DC One Million, you know, Montevideo hurt him badly. Yeah, he, he wants to attend to duties in the Southern Hemisphere, the ultramarine thing doesn't sit right with him, so he's he's taking a leave, and they're bringing in a replacement from a guest from the eight hundred and fifty third century. So Zauriel says, uh, "We've got incoming from the future. Watch out for Chronal Ripple." And then our man arrives. And I hadn't read, uh, I hadn't read DC One Million at the time that I first purchased this book. So for me, this is like we hadn't seen Our Man since uh, Rock of Ages. Do you know, I I, I can't be 100% sure, but I don't think I'd read DC 1 million either. I think I only read DC 1 million when the later volumes of JLA referred back to it and I went, oh, I should go and read that. But i got to say, I loved the look of Our Man. Particularly as, particularly as you know, kind of depicted here, Padrillo does good things with capes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a very mystical, like, Merlin look yes here for yes. Man, isn't it i love i love the thing with the jla does so well as opposed to say you know x-men or avengers you know other big team books they all have different strengths the thing i think the jla does really well is considering it like a pantheon where every character is an iconic deity mm. of something yeah and in that way that i know our man has been more traditionally associated with the jsa but it just makes sense to me for an hour man to be on the jla in a way yes. it's very snappy it's iconic aquaman our man he's 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 a god of something in this case time i, I think that's that's again morrison's fault morrison does such <laughs> great things with our man over the next few issues it's, yeah yeah um yes we're gonna yeah and again morrison clearly bringing our man along because hey morrison is in charge they can do whatever they want at this point and uh yeah why not just mix the rot the rotor up a bit but it also says um, to me that the jla are sort of still in contact with the justice legion hundreds and hundreds of years in the future oh, they've I just love. phoned him up and said can we borrow our man for a bit please oh no that's just delightful to me because yeah, yeah i love it why not in the same in the same world where the military could use teleportation because it exists you know like a lot of superheroes go on time travel adventures and deep time travel adventures and yeah it's just like hey like we, we we've talked to the future you know maybe we'll visit occasionally you know it's nice to keep a line of communication open but of course our man arrives and instantly confuses everyone as he says oh i've uh, overlapped by a couple of days i expected to arrive in the midst of earth's war with the fifth dimension is captain marvel here <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you then just get a shot of the, the moon and the watchtower with Earth in the background and a speech bell that I assume belongs to Superman saying, Our man, talk slowly and talk to us. War, days, repeat what you just said. And again, the problem that always comes up with when you have a character who can time travel or a character who can see the future, what the biggest, biggest question is, how are they surprised by anything? <laughs> and so, of course, we just get Morrison perfectly addressing it here. They're not. Like, literally, like, oh, hey, I thought, yeah. Are you not aware of the next big crisis? That's weird. <laughs> and then we, uh, we turn the page and we get prologue to JJ's big secret. As, 
Yeah, we get speech bubbles in, uh, I'm not sure which city this is supposed to be, but it's a city, speech bubbles just saying, lots of swearing going on in them as well, because you get the classic uh, <laughs> at sign percentage, pound, pound, dollar, ampersand, exclamation point, at sign, man, come on, I'm freezing my at sign dollar dollar off here. <laughs> Could be anything. Um, and then, yeah, and then this un- unnamed speaker says, say you love Satan in quote so they are saying a quote and then there's a click noise and then a pink a pink bolt of lightning strikes the city and then we see this new character who you know we've not encountered before holding a glowing pink pen as a strange figure stands in front of them and says well jj you ain't never had a friend like me now, PJ, this came out in February 1999. Mm-hmm. When did Disney's Aladdin come out? Oh, like 94? 94. Okay, so this is five years, you know. So I, I, I do Maybe find 93. that kind of... Maybe 93. There's definitely years between them. These, But again, the cultural references are fascinating to me because, yeah, even now, everybody still gets that reference. That's what the genie says in Aladdin. Um... I just it's fascinating, fascinating to me to think that this was only five years out from that being like new. Isn't that weird? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is actually. That's that's bizarre that Aladdin was ever new. Yes, 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 quite. Yeah. Um. So, PJ, if you're reading this and we have this glowing pink figure with lightning bolts coming out of their head, if you're a casual reader at this point. Are you expected to have any idea what's going on here? I don't think so. I think you'd need to be a well, you'd need to be on uh, DC Expert on the level of of Chris the Monitor Murphy to have gotten this <laughs> at this point, um, because this is long time readers will know this this character is the Thunderbolt, the uh, the spirit that guided Johnny Thunder, a character who first appeared in Flash Comics one in 1940 and continued to appear until 1948. And yeah, he, he would basically Johnny Thunder could could grant could get wishes through his Thunderbolt and and use it to do superhero stuff. Did join the JSA back in the day, but I don't know if that character had had much of a revival or many other appearances since the forties. I mean, this is obscure even by JSA standards. Now, I mean, we could be talking a lot about the JSA at this point, but maybe we should save it. But I'd be interested, very interested to get your take on it in future issues, PJ. But um, yeah, this is a pretty like out there kind of like preview of what's to come, really. It it is, it is. And I've just done a quick uh, quick look, and uh, yeah, Johnny Thunder did appear a few times. He was in Crisis on Infinite Earths um, here and there as well, though not a lot. So it is still a fairly deep cut. But all that, our man, the the Thunderbolt. Kind of irrelevant because we're not really going to look into that much next issue. <laughs> no, no. Um, although we we do have a real a real gem coming up next issue, which I'm I'm quite looking forward to actually. Oh yeah, the next issue is great. It's it's very much a fill in issue. Um, so it, it's it's uh, our Mark Miller paying a revisit to us for for one issue, and still Mark Pagarillo on pencils as well, which is great because it is it is a really good issue. But it is very much a fill-in issue, but it's an absolute joy. 
You do wonder, with um, Howard Porter not being on this issue, but having done the previous two parts, you wonder, and then of course having a filler issue, you do wonder, like, do you, do you suppose they brought in, you know, Mark Padrilla was brought in to do the end of a, a three-part story, maybe because Porter needed a break? You know, maybe the, because it's a massive undertaking to be the lead artist on a series that's been going this long. Yeah, I, I figure, you know, Porter and Morrison probably needed the break because they both knew that they were coming out with another one of their big stories in JLA with, with Crisis Times 5. That's That starts the issue after next. That is a big, big four-part story. And, yeah, they, they probably needed a slight recharge to, to get onto it. So, I don't know, maybe DC had Pajarillo already booked for this fill-in issue between the general mm. and, and this one. And then when Porter was like, oh, actually, I, I need a bit more of a break, maybe they backfilled it with Pajarillo to give him the two issues consecutively. Well, yeah, I'm fasc- you see, I'm fascinated by this sort of thing and the, the what goes on behind the scenes because, yeah, I mean, this this kind of, this little story with that we're about to go into, this standalone issue, kind of could have been inserted anywhere. I think they do a good job of some, you know, dialogue kind of fitting it chronologically in the right place. But, um, yeah, I was kind of wondering if it was more like, uh, um, you know, Porter was struggling a bit, needed a break. As you say, knew they had this big story coming up. So they bring in um, they bring in Mark Padrillo. And then the editors are like, actually, uh, who can we get? Let's uh, give Mark Miller a call. Can you can you whip together, a you know, a nice kind of standalone issue so we can all just take a take a breather? I wonder how kind of suddenly it was put together or whether it was always planned um we should say porter still did the covers both for this issue we've just looked at and the next issue as well so they're yes. you know still doing uh something on every issue and in fact the the cover for the next issue is superb it's one of my favorite jla covers porter's done oh it's lovely yeah it's lovely and um yeah it's it's you know we're always we're generally quite sad to see porter you know go but, um, you know, if anyone's going to, you know, kind of fill the void. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Padrillo is, is a wonderful addition. You know, really, really love his faces as well. Very good faces. Yeah, and he's going to come back for a, a couple more guest stints um, at the after Crisis Times 5. There's there's two more fill-in issues there where uh, Padrillo draws them both, I think. And then you've got um, both of them written by Mark Wade, one co-written with Devin Grayson. But, uh, yeah, at the end of justice for all there's another little gap for um morrison and porter yeah which i've got to say i also really like um i've said it before i was i wasn't i was maybe a little colder on the adam strange stories Mm. but like i really like the mark wade standalone issues in fact i like all the standalone issues in this book i think they are particularly a high caliber it's weird because, yeah, I, I agree with you. I really like them. The second standalone issue Wade does, obviously we'll discuss it in a lot more detail in a few weeks' time, but it's an interesting one because it ties into what he was doing in The Flash at the moment, but it's the only issue of JLA that does. And mm. it also does sort of set up his run on JLA, or starts to, which obviously would follow on directly from Morrison's run. Mm, yes, you're right, actually. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really, I hadn't seen it that way. But yes, you're right, PJ. That's very interesting. Now, I don't know if at this point they decided Wade was going to follow Morrison on the book, or mm. if Wade was just do it, did this fun little story to set it up for whatever happened in the future, and then later on when 
he got the book, decided, oh, I could follow up on it myself, maybe. But mm, yeah, mm. it's interesting either way. No, it's a good no good point, BJ. This is why this is why I'm glad to be doing this show with you because you you bring you bring something new to it. I bring the questions, but not the answers. <laughs> and I should say, I am absolutely furious, furious, PJ, that the next storyline, Crisis Times Five, only has four parts. I know. <laughs> like I, I am. I don't know. Kind of weird. Kind of galaxy brain thinking. Was it meant to have five? And then. Did they need a break? Did were they over ambitious? So they got they they got Miller in, and then they had to kind of bring Crisis Times Five down to four issues. I don't think so. I think it's just called that because of the whole the involvement of the fifth dimension. But what I'm going to do now, now we've finished the Ultramarine story, is I'm going to dig out the Wizard JLA special and read through that because this is the Ooh. point when that was released. Oh, interesting. Well, come to think of it, PJ, we have a. We have a 50th episode coming up. Oh, we do. Mm. Did we want to... So next issue, uh, next episode will be episode 49, which will be the Mark Miller standalone. Did we then want to spend an issue talking about the wizard? Let's do it. The wizard. Yeah, let's I think it. that no. could lead to some fun conversations. Yes. No, no, that'd be good, actually. Yes, we have a plan. I like this. Um, PJ, at this point, do you have any thoughts on the story we've just gone through? Oh, uh, the... It's brilliant. I love it. I and and I don't know if part of the reason I love it so much on this occasion going through is simply because we've come to it after DC One Million that we both sort of blew hot and cold on. Mm. But and and that just sort of elevates it, maybe. But yeah, I think Morrison does some amazing stuff with the Shaggy Man. Morrison does some amazing Superman stuff as ever. Just just yes. really. You know, Morrison gets Superman like so few do, and that's clear here. It's Morrison working with two fantastic artists over the three issues. And, yeah, it just made me happy. I love it. I love that story so much, and I'm really excited for what's coming next. But it also a... a little sad, because I've realised how close we are to World War Three now. I know, it's wild, isn't it? It really is wild. We are kind of um, on the downward slope now. I... I really love this three-parter. I think it's it's remarkable. I think it really... I don't know if it's... It's really interesting. If you had to pick like a, a bit which would evoke the entire series, I, I don't know. It's a really good example of everything the series was at this point. The combination of like incredible modern action, um, deep cuts, surprisingly deep character moments. I mean... I think the Morrison series is often criticised for having not, not for be, being more about the spectacle than the characters. Yeah, but I, I, I would refute that a little in places because yes, we're not getting you know big kind of character discussions because there's a lot of characters, but like the moments when they come hit really hard. Yeah, I disagree with that assessment as well. I think. It's Morrison's run is full of character moments and the little dynamics between the characters. There's no need for that that one panel between Green Lantern and Flash in this issue where they're going, oh, we've, we've been messed up and the new guys did better than us. There was no need for that, but it sets up that these are two young guys who are still supposed to be the experienced members of the team who struggle with that occasionally. And, and Morrison sells it beautifully with these just two or three little lines of dialogue between them. It's interesting, like, I... You know, the Superman moment yeah. with with the soldiers. I mean, that that's just a great moment. Um, 
I, I think more than anything, I, I always like how Morrison just kind of can take a standard scene. So you could have a scene which is like, on paper, quite straightforward. So uh, we could have, for example, um, back in part one, Green Lantern and Aquaman trying to find the Shaggy Man on the bottom of the ocean to stop Warmaker Wong stealing him. You know, what happens? They go there, it goes wrong, Aquaman has to save Green Lantern. I love how that what Morrison brings to it is is in the gaps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, different directors could take that scene in a different way. Morrison found a really, really interesting way of of having those that moments. You know, like... Uh, you know, microwave, microwaving uh, Green Lantern's brain so he loses concentration. Um, Green Lantern calling it like uh, like uh, ad jingles, computer games. You know, Aquaman having the bends. Yeah. These are the interesting, weird things that really kind of make a Morrison comic shine. I think it's also it also shows Morrison's ability to have character moments in the action. Like all the stuff when batman huntress and plastic man are fighting against the general you get bits like batman prioritizing saving huntress's life you get the respect plastic man and huntress are giving to batman saying you've got a plan right and batman saying well of course i've got a plan but all that happening during the action sequence as well so yeah i i think this is for me morrison at their best this three-part story because i think it really shows all of their strengths and i think it it shows how much they understand these characters and how they're able to just it feels effortless and i'm sure it wasn't i'm sure it took morrison a lot of work to write this but i think that's one of the highest compliments you can pay a writer is is when you read it and it feels effortless to you oh quite no absolutely and i've got to say like i saw a um now, PJ, you haven't read Multiversity. No. Is, is that correct? Okay, well, there's some stuff in Multiverse, Multiversity uh, where Morrison introduced uh, this kind of, like, uh, trans-reality task force of leaguers. So leaguers from all different parallel universes who assemble to, you know, fight battles which no individual leaguer could, could seek to, you know, defeat. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Multiversity is a little bit messy, little bit convoluted but there's some really fun morrison moments in that and i saw someone had shared some pages from a current series that dc is putting out called justice incarnate which is using those same characters or variations on them that morrison set up and um i i read those pages because i'm like oh i recognize these characters i wonder what a different creative team is doing with them Whew. it's uh Bit of a clunker, if I'm honest. <laughs> like, um, I don't know the creative team, so I know this is a very cruel thing to say, but, like, it was very boring. Right. Even though, like, big, impossible things are happening, it was very by-the-numbers, very rote, and the dialogue was just like, ugh. And I'm like, that's why I will pick up a Morrison book. Because even when Morrison isn't perhaps working at, to the best of their abilities... The best I can say is that the comic will generally be more interesting than their peers. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I mean, for all for all its flaws, and they are many, you can't say Final Crisis isn't an interesting book. It's certainly a book that no one else could have written. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's the highest praise you could give a creator to say that, like, 
this is undeniably you. Yes. <laughs> but of course, again, Morrison of their best, the second part of this three-parter, mm. like everything about the, the, the plotting, the scripting, uh, the action, the execution, it's kind of a perfect issue in many ways. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think the third part is a perfect conclusion. You know, despite all the carnage and action of part two, part three, Superman wins over the Ultramarines with, without raising a fist. He just stands there, takes the bullets, and then talks to them. Yeah, using his head. Yep. And also, like, Morrison using his head, using their head as well, rather. You know, just the idea that, like, you know, you can criticise superhero comics for being nothing but kind of, you know, superpowered beings beating the crap out of each other while wearing ridiculous costumes, which, of course, is true. Yeah. But, like, there's an intelligence to the way Morrison writes for characters where it never just comes down to... Who can who can punch the other person the hardest? Yeah, there's always more meaning to it, and it's always nice when a character like Superman can just resolve a situation in a in a different way. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Well, PJ, have we exhausted everything that everything is? Have we said everything there is to be said about this? Probably not, but <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be here for hours if we did. And and yeah, again, just. I think I say this every episode, but I'm so excited for what's coming next. Yeah. No, it's nice to still be excited and nice to know that, like, there are big moments still to come, even though we are sadly now past the halfway, way past the halfway point, you know? Yeah. Oh, we've got we to enjoy these precious moments, PJ. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to savour every panel. Well, um, I guess as as the as the uh, uh, counter to that, as as I as I as I push us towards the end of this episode, um, I guess I should say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for our incredible cover artwork, and uh, another massive thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our wonderful theme tune, Justice. Uh, and uh, if you enjoy hearing PJ and I talk, you can find us on social media. Our uh, details are in the description, and of course, if you ever want to write in. You know, to share some weird piece of JLA ephemera, or even just to, you know, um, offer words of encouragement. You know, all, I was going to say all criticism, but like, no, we we only want positive words. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say if you want to write in to disagree with us on something we've said, please feel free, but keep it friendly. <laughs> no, no, um, no. You're right. You're right, PJ. In the interest of open discussion, we always love hearing your thoughts. And uh, I will yeah, say, if you, you disagree with us, you, you say do it, do it in a nice, friendly way. Be constructive. Also, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, um, PJ has the power here. Uh, <laughs> never forget it. Um, but no, if you want to reach us, you can do so at uh, the email address contact at bigpunchstudios.com. And I swear that all emails that come in will definitely get forwarded to PJ. Uh, 90% of them. Except for the times I forget to. So, yeah. Uh, But this is how I protect you all from PJ's uh, towering wrath, basically. I like to kind of filter the emails before they come in. (laughs) How many have you not read out? I never send you the angry ones, Fair enough. That was probably for the best. There's a a big uh, Wildcats fan base out there who are are just... (laughs) would would string you up, basically. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I accept that. Well, I guess on that note, PJ, if we really have said everything there is to be said in this particular episode, he said pausing for effect, 
Ooh, effects. Okay, you, well, your silence speaks volumes. Um, PJ, would you please lose me honours and see us off in your own unique fashion? Yes, I will. Thank you for listening, everybody. And John's a traitor to everything, and I'm going to go put myself in the body of a, a really shaggy creature. Again? Again. Again.